Hey, this episode is brought to you in part by Signature Doors and Windows. Now, on to the show. So that's what made you an architect? Just that? No, no, what actually started it was my dad said, I want you to be an engineer. You should be an engineer because I wanted to be an engineer. I said, I don't want to be an engineer. All right, I'll be an architect. It was that dumb. It was that simple. And I've been doing that since I was an early teenager in one way or another, and I've been too stupid to stop. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Hey, good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. Welcome to Architecting. I'm Rebecca Wagner here with the host, Adam Wagner. Hey, Adam, who's on the podcast today? Another good morning, good evening, another pull you out of bed to do this late night Mm-mm, i wasn't even in bed yet <laughs> Nine twenty-one. Mm-hmm. still out of bed uh we'll see what was the question uh yeah so today we have adrian sofer and aaron bagnall on the on the show this is a an interesting combo here we have uh the two principles of sofer sparn architects mm-hmm. and i think we you know we've got to we've hit on this topic a few times about sort of firm tra- transitions. And this is a, a, a good case of, of one of them here where we have one of the named partners, the remaining named partner that's, that's in the firm and handing the torch over to the next generation of architects of, of principals and seeing, seeing and hearing about their partnership and how, how they're both steering the firm and how they're thinking about uh, moving towards the future, but then also hearing these stories from the past. Cool. Sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. And this episode is being released on October 18th, and we are having a release show party on the 19th, so on Thursday. So if you happen to hear this, Come on down to Silver Sparn's Denver office for a happy hour around 4.30 to 7 or whenever they kick us out of the office. And you can get more information on our Instagram site. So listen to the episode. Come down in person. Talk talk to these great architects. Drink some of their alcohol and meet someone new. Keep connecting. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Enjoy. But first, here's a few messages from our sponsors. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. And now, back to the show. Thanks for coming on here, you guys. And yeah, this is fun. I always this is like my favorite way to meet people where you get it get it on record and yeah. uh, <laughs> push out that awkwardness. But we'll we'll start off and make it awkward in the very beginning. But we have one question and it's who are you? And I and I think, you know, you can answer it as a 
as a partnership or or individually, but it's kind of like a part T sketch of of who are you in a few sentences. DB, you got to go first. <laughs> I don't know. I thought you had notes. Um, who are you? <laughs> I'm not a a woman of of two or three sentences to describe myself. Um, so I'm just going to say that I'm a community driven architect. Nice. When you said that, I thought you were going to go for like, you know, five minutes talking about it, but that nice and concise. You don't even need two sentences. Nice. Adrian, what do you got? Well, I'm, I'm going to presume that you're asking this in the context of me being an architect. No, this is this is you take it however you want. So this is how you framing, you know. Well, I would say that broadly, I have come to learn to not worry about who I am as it serves me little and it serves my clients less. Mm. And so I try not to focus on that as I have found that that just complicates my my life. And I'm much more interested in how I can understand the world that I'm in than I am about who I am. Hmm. So that's interesting. So let's let's talk about that journey. So uh, where did you start off? Where where did you grow up? Are you checking your notes? No, I was cleaning my desk. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was distracting myself. Uh, I was born in India. Uh, lived there. For, hmm. I left before I was two, and I grew up in L.A. Hmm. And um, my family, well, they're Sephardic Jews from India, and hmm. there aren't too many of them. And so we're immigrants that um, basically my dad brought over his entire family and my mother's family and over the remaining decades of life that he had. And and um, I basically wasn't quite sure about mm. uh, what my community was, but it didn't seem to matter. It was all a big question mark for me. So what, what, what part of India? Calcutta. Where are they from? Oh, okay. Calcutta by way of Iraq. And my mother was actually born in Burma. Oh, interesting. And um, right before. and her father was from Burma. My mother was from Calcutta, but she went to school in Shanghai. Huh. My grandmother was in school in Shanghai. So all over that part of the world. Wow. And I don't know if you know what Sephardic Jews are, but they're the Jews that left Spain during the Inquisition. Oh, interesting. And made their way to kind of Persia. North Africa, yeah. the Middle East. Uh, South Asia, China, Indonesia, and into France too, for that matter. Huh. And so then, when when you moved to LA, was there still that kind of group of like that diaspora oh, yeah. there of the of kind yes. of community? Yes, and I was related, I'm sure, to all of them. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, what did your what did your parents do? What what was kind of surrounded you growing up? Uh my dad never quite pulled off whatever it was that he thought he was trying to do. Hmm. And my mom uh, kept everything together. Hmm. What what were some of those things he was trying to do? (laughs) I don't have any idea what to say about it. Interesting. So that's (laughs) what made you an architect? Just that? (laughs) No, no. What actually started it was my dad said, I want you to be an engineer. You should be an engineer because I wanted to be an engineer. I said, I don't want to be an engineer. All right, I'll be an architect. Was that dumb? It was that dumb. It was that simple. And I've been doing that since I was an early teenager in one way or another. And I've been too stupid to stop. (laughs) I like that. That, that, 
that would probably be the the quote in the beginning of the the podcast here. Well, I'll, uh, I'll tell you that the, gonna, it's gonna have beneficial deal. because if I were smarter, I would have given up working on it. Hmm. Engineer he does that, but he loves it. Yeah. <laughs> So he said, he said, he said, engineer, and and you said no, architect, and and so where did you where did you go to school? Where did you where did you start off? Undergraduate at USC, mm. and then I took four years after that uh, working in Southeast Asia. I got a job in Southeast Asia. I was there for a year, and then I came back for another three years. And I realized I had no clue at what I was doing. And the job that I got actually not. Too long after I was I was sitting next to a guy that I knew in undergraduate school. He was a year ahead of me, and he went to graduate school at Princeton. And I won't tell you his name, but he was such a jerk. And I realized he loved to show me that I really didn't know what I was doing, and he was right. And so I decided I had to go to graduate school, and and so I did. Yeah, but those Princeton guy people are well, still the worst. But I yeah, tell you, I didn't apply to Princeton. That. What, what? I didn't apply to Princeton. Yeah, yeah. I just say that because I did apply to Princeton and they didn't let me in. So, you know, it. Um, I was sure I didn't want to go to Princeton. What was the kind of atmosphere around USC when you went there? And, and I mean, then going off and moving out of country, what, what kind of set up that path? There were a few people at USC that I, I could understand what they were talking about. But most of the time, I had no clue. I had mm. no clue. And actually, one thing that really stuck out for me was I think it was after my first year, there was a structural engineer who was a part of the, the faculty. And I really liked him. He was a great guy. He was, about, he, was, he was Russian. He was about six foot four. His name was Dmitry Vergun. Mm. And he always smoked a cigar in studio. And we had sort of closing interviews at the end of the year. And he said to me, you know... I really think you ought to think about doing something else. <laughs> and I really appreciated him doing that because I just said, I don't know what I can say on this podcast, but you can imagine what I thought. And that really helped me. Yeah. And that, that was at the end. That that was your, that was the end of the first year, I think. Oh, yeah. end of the first year. So yeah. then what'd you do with that? How'd you, how'd you take that comment? And I said, different, um, fuck you. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Nice. And so it was more of a the the, the stimulating you to to push forward than yeah. But I also change. understood why he said it. Hmm. It made some sense to me. Yeah. And and so then when you when you got out, what 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 well, was, was Southeast no Asia? There oh, was okay. no work. There was um. It was after the first Arab oil embargo, and there was hmm. literally nothing. And I got a job working as the assistant to the clerk of the works on a hospital project in, in LA. And I don't even, I don't know if you know what the clerk of works is, but it's basically someone like an owner's rep. Mm. And uh, my job was just to observe construction. And I ran into a guy that I knew in school who was older. He was a transfer student and a little older. And he said, well, what are you doing? I told him, this is what I'm doing. He said, well, I just saw an ad where they're looking for architects, people with a degree in architecture that are 25 years or older, and um, something else. You know, have a pulse. Administration. Yeah, that's what it was. Conspiracy in construction administration. Uh -huh. I said, well, I'm 21. I don't have experience in construction administration. <laughs> I have a degree in architecture. So, well, you should apply. Yeah. So I did. And uh, it was for a, 
uh, I was the 30th person the guy interviewed. And I had on my resume Emmett Wemple, who was a landscape architect and had been a, a teacher at USC for 30 years. And he said, oh, I was a student of Emmett's. He hired two people, and both of us had Emmett on their resumes. Wow. And within a week, I was in Borneo huh. doing construction administration on American oil worker housing. Whoa. Huh. It's not what I was That's thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but enough about me. There's somebody else here. I love having having two partners on here, and and especially I, I think this is the first partnership where I have the kind of first generation and second generation at the same time. But it it is it is hard to yeah to, to cut off a cut off a, a trail. But yeah, let's jump to you, Aaron. So where did you grow up? Do you you also grew up in India and uh, kind of the same story? Or um... <laughs> my story my story is going to be a little bit more um, basic. Yeah, um... I think most of ours are compared to that. <laughs> I'm from Virginia. My family, all of my, um, you know, known family is from Virginia, um, rural areas and settled in Tidewater, although my, I have some roots in Vermont, but mostly just um, the Virginia area. And my dad was in the, he was a contractor growing up. So I spent a lot of time going with my mom and my dad and my sister to building sites, construction sites. He would always want to go look at the homes that were being built because he was curious. And so um, I think that's what initially got me interested. And I've always really, really loved art and painting and math. So it's sort of a trajectory that took me into the into this realm to see what it was. Um, but I did go to, I went to undergrad at UVA. Mm. And right. And I remember going there and thinking, maybe this is what you were talking about, Adrian, where I just didn't know what they were talking about in this theory of the world. And, you know, I do now, but going into there, I thought that everyone else knew what was going on and um, I had a lot of catching up to do. So I kind of invited myself on this um, exemplary student trip to Italy, my my second semester of my first year. Oh, wow. And this a professor named John Mays, he invited all of his, his favorite students and I was not one of them, but, but I went into his office one day and I convinced him to take me along. And I remember asking my parents if I could go and they said, well, gosh, we've never even been out of the country. Right. You know, this is, this is the family that I, like, they were so, they were excited for me, but then at the same time wondering why they have never gotten to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went to Italy with my architecture friends and it was fantastic. And I got a chance to travel and um, see architecture. And um, that's all just to say that I had, I'm continually learning on the, on the architecture train. And it's one of the things that, and Adrian and I talk about this all the time, you, it's one of the professions where you learn something new every single day. You're mm-hmm. constantly solving problems and learning how to um, come up with solutions. So it keeps us all engaged and it keeps us all interested. Yeah. That's interesting of going to Italy so early, you know, it seems it's a pretty typical experience, but normally kind of fourth year or fifth year or mm-hmm. something, but of getting in there and and broadening uh, is interesting. Like my, my dad was a contractor as well. And I went to architecture school so I could be a better contractor mm-hmm. when I got out. That was my idea. And then two weeks in, I was like, there's a lot more to architecture than single family homes in the middle of Kansas. Like 
I was going to be doing, but it, but it is, yeah, it was real, a real mind shift, right. Uh, of coming in. What was sort of like that idea, you know, where you said, I didn't, I didn't know that what they were talking about. I do now, but I didn't know then, you know, it's like, well, I, I know a what, little bit more about what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah. That's how I feel too. But, but, but like, you know, leaving UVA, you know, it's such a, obviously like a, a nest of architecture in itself, just the environment and mm-hmm. the buildings. What was the kind of biggest takeaway that you had from, from there and moving on? Like you said, it is a nest of, you know, historic architecture and, and the architectural program is, is very theory based and hand drawing. Um, we didn't, we always hand drew everything. I mean, that was however long ago it was, which is a long time ago, but there were CAD programs that they didn't initially want us to even touch. Um, which I appreciate because it was a, it was taking the creative mind and um, a program or a place or some whatever it was that the, the studio was presenting and allowing you to go somewhere else with it in this in this theory and whatever where that really took you and it pushed me to expand on theory more than I comfortably would and then I sort of I think I can take that as a learning lesson and do with it what I'm comfortable doing nowadays. So I, I can, I'm only, I can push my boundaries. So only so much in terms of convincing myself that this party or um, building is going to exactly replicate this, this theoretical mm. program or, or um, paragraph that you might describe it on. Mm. Um, but I think it's useful to start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so you, you grabbed onto that and then what you, you take a few years off, then went to grad school. Well, um, was that? Yeah, I got, I went to, um, as soon as I got out of, um, Virginia undergrad that, that summer I worked at Monticello and then I got, and then I got my car and followed my friend who was immediately going into architecture school at Berkeley. Hmm. And I followed him and some other architecture friends to the Bay Area hmm. and worked in interior design in the Bay Area for a little bit um, for a woman named Bauer Interior Design. Hmm. Also, all hand drawing and um, really custom homes. I saw a lot of wealth that I had never even seen prior in my in my entire career. Um, a lot of homes in Monterey Bay and on the water. And realized that um, there can be a lot of wealth in architecture that um, that I constantly, constantly kind of struggle with personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the kind of the reason that I that I gravitate towards a little bit more of a um, community based and affordable housing based architecture. It makes me, feel comfortable knowing that I can do something that helps a lot of different people rather than something that just helps one single family or person. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, so I worked in the Bay area and then I went, came to Colorado. Um, I started heading East and my boyfriend, then husband at the time, not sorry, boyfriend, then husband now um, was living in Boulder. And so I, I stopped here and and never left. And I went to um, CU Denver for grad school. Car broke down and stayed in the middle <laughs> of the country. And yeah, 
why did you want to go there? And what, what did that give you that, that experience give you that you were kind of lacking? At CU Denver, it was really a practical, um, I, I enjoyed the practical, um, education that, that was given there. Um, it was lacking, you know, I never really, it was a really, really boring MEP class, um, that I hope to never take again, but, but that's, that was something that I never, they never even offer at UVA. So it was like a, a yin and a yang of, of education that I think was useful. And I met a mentor um, in my professional practice class, Rich von Luder, who was um, of RNL. And he helped me. He, he basically just shepherded my career after graduation and helped me get a job at RNL and, and, um, and still communicate with to, to this day. Hmm. I appreciate that about the opportunities at CU Denver to really get connection with the Denver community. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a small enough place. Like if, yeah, if you, if you're able to connect in with, with one of those influential instructors or professionals. Yeah. Powerful. So Adrian, you're not off the hook. I want to hear about, I want to hear about grad school. So you, you, you took the four years off and then you, you went, you went to Penn, right? Yeah. Uh, you have any good stories from there? What was going on at that time? Well, this was, um, Khan had died some years earlier, not so long earlier that, that there wasn't, um, I guess a, uh, not, not so much a hangover, but there was an after, after glow or a hangover, depending on who you yeah, were. Right. And, yeah. uh, and I got lucky, and and uh, in terms of the people that I, well, I, I I met everybody, but I I felt very much drawn to certain group of instructors that came out of his lineage and and appreciated that. I did not gravitate towards the Venturi crowd, which was also pretty strong at that yeah. time. And so uh, I had two or three really great teachers. And I felt like for the first time, I actually had teachers. In other words, people that could speak in a language that I could understand and mm-hmm. that made some sense to me and didn't tell me what to do, but they created an atmosphere that I could explore myself what started to make sense and i drew a lot i mean it was it was very earthy in in that regard um and uh i mean i still have all these drawings that i just they're just you don't do that anymore um and it was the one in particular who i i looked up a year ago before we went to this part of the world to see if i could find him again and I and I didn't really um I'm trying to remember his name gosh he was Belgian um hmm. he would come every year for a semester uh I guess he had a strong connection to Aldo Van Eyck who would also come every year mm-hmm. and um basically it, what he would try to get me us to do was to draw the city and he was very vague about what that meant but draw what you see, draw your understanding of the city. And, 
And then he'd talk about that, but he wouldn't tell us what he meant, really. And we had to find for ourselves what that meant to us. And um, it was very challenging, but also very provocative in a way that made me start to look at things that I, I hadn't put pieces together with. And I started to learn about the nature, for me, of, of what are the elements of, of the structure of a city in terms of what was the nature of one street versus a different street? And how do they relate to one another? And how do they relate to landform? And how do they relate to railroads or other forms of communication and, and transportation? And how how what happens if you take a red line and a blue line and a purple line? And how do they relate to one another in reality? Can you shift those dynamics? And what happens when you do? And what do you how do you interlace green into that? Is there a relationship between railroad lines and green lines? Is, is there a relationship? And, and I started to recognize that all of these things had different forms in different places. And they start to define how we respond as human beings hmm. in relation to those. And that was fascinating to me. Hmm. It's like, I, I love, I just love school where you can, you can get into that sort of level, right. And you can be thinking about that level, but then, then you get, shoved out into profession and and you know i guess like taking taking that what you're talking about right like you, we can be thinking about the smaller pieces that we're adding to these and thinking about how how it relates to this overall sort of uh idea of fabric and, and piece and parts but that's if you're lucky right uh, and and to be able to affect change at a larger scale like you're able to study in school is uh challenging right what i think i learned more than anything else is to is to look Mm -hmm. to look and see what arises in that process. And it, it doesn't much matter what you're looking at. You could be looking at how a, how city government is structured and how you relate to the neighborhood that you're working in and what are their priorities and how does this piece of land respond to all of those priorities that are impacting it? And how do you learn that? Because you can really make dumb mistakes too. Mm-hmm. Right. So then you, you came out of there with a the head of steam and hit right into what? No, 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 no. I, I came out of there with, a, with um, into the second Arab oil embargo. Oh, nice. <laughs> you you know, you're supposed to go to school during those things, during those recessions, not graduate. Uh, yeah. But what I, re what I really came out of there was recognizing that I had just had a couple of real teachers and that I was just getting started in my education. Hmm. And, I, and I knew I wasn't done. I knew I wasn't done. So that was very provocative for me. And it affected how I how I moved forward uh, in my life quite a bit. Yeah. So what did you do with that then? What what came next? I, I ran into Buddhism. Hmm. And I realized that what my teachers were talking about, they didn't even know that what they were talking about was scratching the surface of some things that I started to look into more deeply in a broader context. Hmm. Interesting. When did Sofer Sparn come about? Oh God. So when so when did you when did the car break down in Boulder for you? <laughs> uh my my wife my I, I i actually came out here because i was part of the buddhist community uh, mm. when i was living in philadelphia and boston also when i got out of graduate school i 
couldn't find work in Philadelphia, but I, I ran into one of my old teachers. He said, we got to try Boston. Boston's a nice place. She'll like Boston. So I went up to Boston, couldn't find work there. And I was imitating his Cuban accent, by the way. He was a wonderful 60-year-old uh, Cuban architect. Always spoke in a very high voice. And he said, go to Boston. You'll like Boston. And so I went to Boston, couldn't find any work there again. So I came back to Philadelphia and had an interview. And um, he said, well, we don't have any work here, but we got this project in Boston. So I said, okay, I'll go. And so I worked on the the, the red line, the MTA Cambridge station in, in mm. Boston for a year. And then I came back down to Philadelphia and things started opening up. But in the process, I came in direct contact with a, a Buddhist community there and have been ever since and met my wife on a retreat. We were both on staff at a three-month retreat uh, in the in the Rockies. Mm. That was in 1988. And then that brought then that brought you out here, yeah, yeah. And and so Aaron, so you you graduated, and probably no air, uh, oil embargo. Well, I I, I I forgot to mention that the the second week after being in, we, I just moved across the country into the Bay Area. Two weeks later, September 11th happened. Oh, nice, yeah. Um, so everything sort of changed as it, as we all know how it did. And um, those that had come to the Bay Area to go to school were in luck, but those that were looking for jobs had a little bit harder time. So that's how I ended up in the interior design firm. Mm. But then after after graduate school, where did that wave, that sort of, I guess, practical wave in a, a certain way of, of of CU, like you were explaining it, you know, like where where'd that take you? Well, um, it took me with with Rich Bermuder. Um, he he brought me under his wing to to RNL, um, which was downtown at the time, 16th Street, pretty large firm, had all all the um divisions and um spec raiders and uh the electricians and the plumbing and the mechanical. Um, but I was in the design studio and and I stayed there for for a while, and um, John Rogers was there. He was, you know, the, uh, one of the founding members, but was he would kind of roll in sometimes and see how things were going. So I got got close to him. He would take me out to lunch, and that was much appreciated. But about after probably about a year or two years there, I'd been working on a lot of larger, fun projects, but nothing was in Denver. Um, had had yet to work on anything local. Um, I was working on things in Vegas and nothing that I could have had any sort of tangible idea of how, what was going on or what the site was even. Um, mm. So I I said I was living in Boulder and commuting to Denver every day, and I I tried to find a job in Boulder, and I found a job at um, where Adrian's firm at the time, which was called. Arc Inc. And they were in need of somebody coming to help because they had just recently um, gotten a pretty large project and entitlement project in, in the city of Boulder. So um, I remember talking to John Rogers and telling him I was leaving. And he said, well, why are you going? Why, why are you going to Boulder? And I said, well, I, I want to, at the time, then this is, I feel like this is what young people say. 
I want to work on single family homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the answer I gave. And he said, oh, Aaron, it's, that's not what you're going to, that's not, that's not where you're going to find that your joy. I just know. And, and I didn't listen to him. And he kind of ended up being right. It wasn't what, where I found my joy. I do love single family homes. Don't get me wrong. Um, but where I found my joy and where, what took the, the kind of trajectory that that move to Adrian's firm took me is um, immediately started working on this project called the Washington Village Community. And it was a, a project that Adrian was the lead on. He was on the planning board at the time. You can ask him about that part. But it was a really large development project, um, redevelopment of an existing school. So um, the Boulder Valley School District had sold the land. Adrian's going to maybe... Um, correct me on some of these things, but it was a school use and they sold the land and um, rezoned it. And it was a split zone site. And the person that purchased the property wanted to develop it for co-housing. Wanted more density than than was really allowable. There's lots of really, really intricate land use issues that we had to jump through and um, I'll let Adrian tell you the sordid history of that. But the reason I'm bringing it up is that I immediately jumped into this project with Adrian. He was on the planning board at the time. And we got a lot of a lot of experience in entitlement work and the, the public process and sometimes contentious public process with um, development. And um, to this day, I think, that is one of our one of the things that we do best in 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 the in Boulder in the city of Boulder and the county is um, help clients maximize or get get things done that are a little bit outside of the realm of um, the land use code and and require complicated entitlement work hmm. and that's sort of what Adrian was speaking to of you know this creative thinking of you you take what your client needs. Um, to see or the demands and the needs of your client. And you can, with your knowledge of being an architect in the land use code and, you know, all of the codes that are involved, um, the demands of the city and the, the temperature of the council even, and you help them get where they need to go. Right. But you're thinking about it, not in a way of skipping lines and, and, and squeezing through to help developers, but you're, you're thinking about it in terms of the, how the lines are intersecting and and how it's how it's creating an overall place and selling that uh, vision, I guess. That's right. That's right. It's and it's the you know it's the green and the blue and the yellow and the train and the railroad and how all those things come together, um, and how they can work. Um, but you have to creatively get something there to work. Right. So Adrian, was that? Was was that sort of the vision when creating Arc Inc? Was what well, what was the vision? Give me that story. Yeah, I think at some level. I mean, I probably wouldn't put it in 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 quite those terms, but there was that hope, which you know, my partner at the time had more of a expectation in that regard. I think for me, it was well, that'd be great, you know, if we could do that. Mm. Uh, but I think in some way, 
I feel closer to to that now, so many years later, that I I do more see the world of uh, as how can I bring together the forces that are at play in a circumstance that really is helpful and can be accomplished. You know, we were having a conversation the other day in the office with a, a couple of people who brought this proposal forward to Aaron and Stephen and myself. And, and there were three options to look at. And the, the young woman said, well, I didn't think you were going to do any of those. And I said, well, wait a minute, then if you knew we weren't going to do it, why did you say that this is something we should do? If you know we're not going to do it, why not focus on the one option that has a chance of being accomplished? And let's see if we can do that. And, and just, explore that thing that has possibility in a manner that brings something good to fruition. And I think it's really important to recognize what is achievable. Not to say that you can't go further a little bit here or there in certain regards, or maybe push a bit to get a little more. But I think it's important also to understand what is the path that's going to get the best outcome with the least amount of suffering for everybody. Hmm. That idea of suffering is interesting, right? Of of, so you you were saying essentially bring, they were bringing in three design options, and two of them were sort of too radical in a way, or or, or too well, they weren't they weren't they were it was an internal issue, it was an office issue, right? And and, and she knows us well enough to know that we're not going to do the first two. Hmm. So my question to her is, why do you think it's beneficial to pursue the two that you know we're not going to do? instead of looking at the third one and finding a way to to get the best outcome that you could achieve. Hmm. Aaron, what do you think about that? I, I I'm always I just love to iterate, right? And 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 I'm yeah. always throwing stuff out and I'm like this is this is dumb. This won't work or whatever and it's sometimes, you know, 10%, 20% of the time it's the one that ignites but it is an interesting thing of, you know, do you Yeah, I I've a, li- a little bit of a different idea for Adrian because I from my perspective, even though this person seemingly knew we weren't wouldn't go for the first two, I still think that the presentation and the you got to give it a try, right? You can yeah. throw it out there and see if something sticks, even if you don't think it will. Um, and it might bring up other conversations. So you know, we're talking sort of generically about this one event, but I think. I'm a little bit more open to um, hearing ideas. Yeah. And I, I, in all fairness, I didn't mean to say that you shouldn't explore ideas, but I was more curious about what's going to be effective mm. and how can we, when you know it's not going to be effective, when you know that that's not going to happen, let's look at what can be effective because that is going to be the path in some way. It doesn't mean to say that we can't explore these things that might be interesting to help open our minds a bit. Yeah. And he's right. Right. And there's a balance. Right. And it's 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 client base. You know, you know, you know your audience. Right. And mm-hmm. your your audience is who you're presenting to. And that's kind of what Adrian's talking about. Like we in the office, we have a strong desire and we would love to do a um, multi-story CLT building. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's an option. Those are options that you don't always get presented with. And so we haven't necessarily pushed it in any way, but there is one specific client where we think this could be a good option for them. And it's not 
there's a good story involved for the CLT and the sustainability, but there's also a bottom line number that they could probably appreciate and it's going to get them their height that they need and their stories that they need within that height. And, mm. you know, it's, it's potentially doable and potentially works for everyone. And so the, that's a situation where you come with a proposal that checks a lot of boxes and might actually get, get done. Yeah. Right. One of the biggest reasons I started this podcast was because I was starting my own firm and I just wanted to harvest information from other people who started a firm. So I keep trying to prod Adrian for it and he's not, he's not taking the bait here, but like, what was the thing where you said, I need to start a firm because I can't do this at another firm. And what, what was that spark? And what was that kind of first few weeks? Like it was getting fired from R and L. Okay. That's <laughs> oh, funny that R and L is going to show up so much. in this. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, there was, it was another time where there was, I finished working on a project and there was another project. Hmm. They were running out of work. And I went to myself, if I'm ever going to do this, this is the time to start. Um, just because I'm tired of looking for another job that I don't really like. Right. There also might've been some aspect of it where you felt like you had learned enough to yeah. do it. No. <laughs> No. no, I don't think that was I don't it. think I've ever heard that story on this podcast. And, <laughs> yep, I, I got it all. Now let's do this. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Well, it takes a certain amount of comfort level. But I did have this yeah. friend who was working in Boulder and he had a he had a thriving small practice, but he was limited in experience in things that I was less limited in. And he knew a lot of people in the community and we were, and he was doing a lot of single family work. And I, I said, we ought to look at doing something together. And he liked that idea. And, um, who is that? His name is Steve Vosper. We oh. started a firm together in 94 and we called it architecture incorporated. And he wasn't licensed. I was, and, and so it, it had a certain synergy. We stayed in partnership for a long time. But I I think I needed a, a certain amount of, uh, like Dimitri Vergun, a certain amount of kick in the butt to say, all right, I need to make a change. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we, we started working together and um, had a, a few projects that we could work on and it was not, it was not easy. I mean, there was, this was in the, in the mid to late nineties, there was still some work uh, in Boulder and, and it was an ebb and flow. So I don't know what to say. How large did that firm grow into? We had in the, in the end before we, we, we modified, it was, I guess there was about six of us, Aaron. A day at most. Yeah. At most five to six. Hmm. And then at a certain point when, when Google became so prevalent, you, you figured you needed to change names so that people could find your firm. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, there was a, there was another recession. Mm. Uh, I think it was, um, it was a four Aaron planned her, her, uh, her twins properly. Take oh. it. I had twins in at the very end of 2008. Ah, nice. And, uh, it, it, and, and it's, it saved us from having to, to, um, Fire me. All of people because we didn't have the work, honestly. Right. 
the firm reduced in size to uh, I think three of us at the time, and mm-hmm. and then it just sort of naturally became apparent that Steve and I were fine with moving on, and um, mm-hmm. then I I started to get more work actually at that time. Projects were coming towards me. I'd, I'd finished my time on the planning board, and um, interestingly, things started to pick up, and I was getting some larger feasibility studies and and uh, projects. And I, it felt like Steve was fine doing single family stuff and I was fine not doing that. And uh, just opened a private practice with a couple of people. And then Aaron came back after um, raising twins. Um, well, I wouldn't say, I, I'm still in that process. I, well, I was, she came back with two small just, interns and yeah. Yeah, I got my, I went, so it was 2008 when I had the twins and obviously sounds like you have children, Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot. So it kind of worked out that there wasn't a lot of work going on at the time. So I took that time to take care of my babies and get my license. I hadn't gotten licensed yet. Um, so that was so for those three years, um, got licensed, took care of young ones. And then right at that time, um, things were starting to pick up and Adrian had was getting busier. Um, so it sort yeah. of organically flowed back into that, those projects that we're talking about. The And for Boulder, we started to get some sizable projects and there was just three of us in the office, Aaron, myself and Paula at the time. And, we had a nice little studio space on Colorado building on the sixth floor of the Colorado building. Mm. And there was this wall as you came in that we had a big pinup wall and there were all these projects pinned up on there and our clients would come in and they'd go, you're working on that and you're working on that and you're working on that and you're working on that. And there's one, two, three of you. We have yeah. two hands. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we realized if we're going to do these projects, we probably need some help. And that's when Stephen, who had approached me a year or two earlier, I said, you know, I think maybe it's time for us to talk about this again. And so we we went into partnership in 2015, the beginning of 2015. That's that's Sparn. Mm-hmm. You just you just like partnering with people named Steve. Yes. <laughs> well, that, well, there's Steve and there's Stephen, and Steven, they are sorry, not the sorry. same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but so what, what, what was that? So, so that was essentially came out of the, the idea of growth and, and needing to expand or just needing to expand yourself in a way. Well, we recognized that the work we had, we couldn't do uh, on our own and that we'd probably lose the work or we'd have to farm it out or partner. And so Stephen had approached me. Well, I had known Stephen Actually, we had rented space in Stephen's building when we first started Architecture Incorporated. So we'd known each other for quite a while. And um, and he had felt that he needed to shift his practice and that there might be a fit there. So it took me a while to say, okay, uh, at least a year, because it felt like I didn't know why I was doing it. I'd just been in partnership mm. for 17 years and mm. particularly want to um, go into that casually. Right. But at, at the same time, I realized that 
something needed to shift. So we joined forces and how did that feel for you, Aaron? Like seeing, seeing this kind of two cultures maybe come together or approaches and what, what did that, what did that change feel like, especially being so early on in, in the firm? Um, I think on, from my perspective, it, it was good. It was an advancement of, you know, both of these firms together were, were creating a better whole. Um, and we were able to get and accomplish more together than we had previously been. So, you know, a thir- three person firm is a lot different from what Stephen was at the time, which was 10. Hmm. It was about six or seven. So together we were about 10, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And so it was nice in the sense that he, he just had more support systems set up hmm. um, in-house support systems set up that we weren't used to. And that was kind of nice to take advantage of. And I'm really just talking about, you know, someone at the front desk and, you know, there's an accounts manager and all this stuff that, that when you're really small, you do everything. Mm-hmm. And as you get larger, you know, those roles start to be less inclined to, you don't have to do all of it. You, you get to pass those things along. Right. It's interesting with, you know, being in a firm, especially if you, if you've only worked for, you know, a small handful of firms or something, you only know that small handful of ways to do things. Right. And it, and, and there's no like school of how to be an architect in that, in that way. And, and so it, like, it takes that outside person coming in and saying, no, like, you're not doing meeting notes. What are you doing or whatever, you know, whatever it is and, yeah. and, uh, filling in gaps. Uh, yeah. And so now, you know, we're so many years past here. And so the baton is being kind of passed off to the next generation. I, I see, you know, it, it, it seems like obviously it's a big kind of topic. Uh, I guess it, it's probably always been, but it, it seems mm-hmm. pertinent now in Denver, uh, certain firms kind of passing down leadership and kind of what happens to that, especially, you know, when, when there's name people's names on the door or whatever, but how, how that gets, gets passed, passed down. So what's the, what's the process like, uh, has been for you guys and and um are you planning on just taking a few more half days adrian like slowly just half and half and half until well aaron keeps saying well are you working enough of, uh... i'm trying to hold him accountable mm-hmm. taking he his wants time to sheet. know my hours and mm-hmm. how much, how much yeah. vacation time i'm taking and, and payback oh <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm just trying I'm to understand sure. this whole partnership thing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I just to get back to your, you know, there's no, there's no book on how to do this. I guess there are kind of maybe some books that we could have read, but in the end, you sort of have to navigate it through yourself. And we started this process, you know, three plus years ago in just what started as, you know, casual conversation. And then it, and then we were saying, you know, we, we have to do something. We have to, Think about what this is going to look like and it was a long process but now we feel like once we've done this for one time that it starts to sort of set the page or set the set the next page for when we do it the next time and hopefully get it to be more streamlined and something that just can can be built into the practice as we move forward mm-hmm. but we, we got over this hurdle and we were pretty proud of ourselves to get to that point. Well, I will say one other thing about that though is Aaron was the the obvious candidate 
for initial transition of leadership. But there were others that we had talked to. And it what we realized that this is not a one-size-fits-all process. It, it doesn't work that way. And, and that actually created in some way to the departure of two potential partners uh, because we didn't recognize, all of us didn't recognize that each person has their own needs and timing in that regard. Hmm. So that was a, that was a big learning uh, experience for us all. Right. Yeah. That it seems, seems tricky in different, in different, different ways. We didn't um, expect that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, and it goes to sort of the idea of building something, right. Of you're building this firm, you know, Adrian, you, you started it, partnered, it's got your names on it, but there's a lot of people doing the work, right. And creating this sense of itself. And, you know, with a lot of firms who have the name on it, it's like that person dies and it's like, well, what's the point of continuing like that they had the sketches or whatever. And, and it was that vision. Right. But it seems like, you know, you're saying that there's a core to this firm that that means this, right? And we want to continue it and pass it down. And yeah, it can be hard, I guess, if you're if you're building into that core and then what's the future there for you or whatever. But to that rambling weird question, what what's the core? What's the core that you have a sense of what that is that makes you well, guys special? I can tell that, you, yeah. I, I'm I'm not about to try and define that and mm-hmm. and my view of it is if there's interest in whatever you think it is and and there's an interest on on somebody's part in pursuing that there's an interest in our clients in in supporting that well sure that's fine let's go ahead and look at that i don't i'm not somebody who's going to worry about his legacy in that regard it's just not going to happen and uh if if i can be helpful to others in in making a good livelihood and a good a good professional offering well gee why wouldn't i do that you know it's uh, particularly with someone who i've known for 18 years i'm just yeah of course but don't look at me and saying this is what we did this is who we are and and i want to see it go on for the next 500 years it's not going to happen right what about you aaron do you have i mean you know it's like you, you you've poured so much of your life into this firm of uh, mm-hmm. for why you know what's the juice to it well, I think I think it's nice to to be in the position that we're in right now. You know, you, like you know, as far as Adrian's concerned, there isn't a core that he's going to identify. So it opens up mm. something for everybody else that wants to take this and and mold it. Uh, we had a strategic planning retreat, and the entire office came and kind of started to present our um, our mission and our vision and our values and everybody has been on teams since that we did it in january and everybody is very engaged in their little groups um some are focused on marketing some are focused on hr relations some operations and they all are are kind of creating this ownership on how we take our firm and and make it better and i've noticed a big shift in in the firm in, in a positive direction since doing that, because everyone has an interest in, in where we're going from here. And it feels very familial 
like a like a team. And I just want to add, I think that's a really great point that Aaron is bringing up, but I just want to add, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I am the most opinionated person in the office, and I definitely make my opinions known. So it's not like I'm just this mush thing here, but... <laughs> but we don't have to listen to him as much. Yeah. Because... <laughs> hey, mush, quiet down. Yeah. <laughs> He's very opinionated. And in fact, relationship-wise, I'm the only one that really can... I don't know. He can tolerate being... What's the word I'm looking for, Adrian? Oh, I have no clue. <laughs> Reprimanded? Reprimanded, yeah. Reprimanded. Oh, yeah, she she she's a little bit quick to jump down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, back to the yes. And I think the there's a there's an upward trajectory that we see in a lot of ways in this firm in in terms of interest levels and the projects we're getting and what we're producing and what we've done in the last 5 years and and capitalizing on that and taking it in this, I won't, I won't say new direction, but it's future path um, and, and what that involves and who it involves is a pretty exciting place to be. Yeah. Adrian, what, what gets you most excited about the future? Well, I mean, I, I don't really think about the future. People ask me, are you retiring? Are you still working? Why are you still working? And I, and it's Aaron keeps making me. She, yeah, well, she, she, yeah, she said, what? what? Where are you? What are you doing? What are you, what are you working on? It's, um, I still have so much that I enjoy exploring and trying to learn about when I engage in something. It's, it's a, it's always a challenge for me. How can I understand what's needed here? How can I? craft something out of this and it's never obvious to me it's an exploration and it's never easy there's always something that is found in the process and and i i appreciate that that process of finding the next thing and then the next thing to learn and the next thing and finding that I have to backtrack and see, am I assuming too much? Where do I have to go? Who do I have to talk to to understand the needs and the circumstance better? And that's, it's like getting to know my world and how to respond to it in a manner of that can be beneficial and, and maybe even beautiful. Maybe if I'm lucky. Yeah. That's so powerful. You know, I feel like just talking with people all the time, it's, it's, you know, oh, I'm so frustrated. I don't know this yet, but like a few years and doing some CA, I'll, I'll get to know it or whatever, you know, but that idea of, of sort of embracing the, I'll never figure out how to do this. And it's always in it. And it's the, it's the journey, not the destination, right? Like, has that been a thing that's, that's been with you for a while that, that sort of non-searching, is it a Buddhist thing? Is it a, I don't know what the destination looks like. I mean, right. the, one of your questions you asked was, uh, do I ever step back and look at, I mean, who's got the time? Because you're always on to the next project and the next project and the next project before that first one that you were working on is done. And you, you kind of go, okay, I'm just going to keep 
moving forward. It's sort of, it's, I hate to have the analogy of a shark, but you're continually moving forward into the next thing that you need to investigate. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think that's what Adrian's noting is an exciting part of the job and why, right. why it keeps him coming around. Yeah. Um, I don't think Adrian that you don't reflect on your past jobs because. Oh yeah. I mean, as, as one of my old teachers would say, you do too many bad buildings, you won't be able to drive down the street anymore. And I think that it's always the thing that you 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 wish you did differently or that you you couldn't control that stands out. It's mm-hmm. never the things that are that are really actually pretty healthy. I mean, you you notice it, but it's the thing that stands out that you go, ah shit. You know, what are you gonna do? Well, there's that. And then but then there's the things that make you proud. And when you're a part of a, a project like the project we worked on in the Boulder Transit Village, and it was called Spark. And we had mm. four sites and paired with two other architecture firms to accomplish this really large um, entitlement and constructed neighborhood that um, is now built and is growing in. And you can walk down the street and see this something come to life a, a, an actual neighborhood yeah and and it's successful and people you know constantly bring it up as one of the more successful things in town so there's there's some positive aspects too well it, it's true it's true i still actually do enjoy a lot of that um most of that and it and it's good but it's not something that i go oh gee look what i did it's not mm-hmm and that might be the Buddhism part of it. I don't know. <laughs> or the architect part. Uh, yeah. Well, Aaron, you know, you, you started this as, as saying a, a community-minded architect. What does community mean to you here? I mean, especially in Colorado, what's what's the sort of idea? Or... Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. Um, for me, it's, you know, one of the things that I, that keeps me coming to work every day and enjoying it is that we get to work on these projects that we are experiencing and living through and seeing throughout the years and understanding how they make an effect on the the community at large and how they're addressing the street and how they're, you know, we can look down the road and see a project that we've been working on since 2015 and understand all of the easement vacations and we moved the ditch and we, it was a split zone site and there's you know all the things that went into it undergrounding of utilities and none of that is visible except for the way it looks as a as a whole now which is mm-hmm. a very successful um i can't wait for the street to be open or the sidewalk to be open and the street trees to be in because i'm going to walk down across mm-hmm. it every day and hopefully enjoy the um experience yeah. And it's true. It's true. Yeah. 
it's a good thing. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. And we, you know, we just, we, we work, we're working with Boulder Housing Partners, which is our um, affordable housing uh, group, one of the affordable housing groups in town. And they, we get, we're getting a chance to possibly do one of the first modular affordable housing projects that the city of Boulder is, is constructing a modular housing facility. Mm. We don't know when that's going to happen, but this project. Like a touch- manufacturing facility. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's just been approved. And, you know, when it gets built, we might be one of the first projects out of the, out of the facility, which is exciting. Like, you know, we, we know how long the city of Boulder has been talking about this manufactured housing facility and, and to, to have a project that might be the, the first ones through the gate is just a good, a good, um, experience to have and you feel part that's those are the kind of things that make you feel part of this community and and um a part of the conversations yeah and able to build towards it yeah i will say that what aaron's pointing to is something that has been very i think special for us which is that we've been able to work on projects in this small community that we live in small by standards of where i grew up and probably aaron as well and and have relationships with people in the community, uh, leadership of the community, city council, planning board, staff, who have been um, good partners in terms of helping us do the best that we can do to make these things happen. And that's very fortunate and unusual, I think. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. You know, again, I just, this this whole exercise is just me harvesting uh, information. So I thank you for uh, being part of it. And and you know we've never met before, and I've I've wanted to to meet you guys and and just learn more. And and so uh, thank thanks for coming on here and spending your Friday. And um, yeah, I can continue to look forward to seeing how you how you build up this community. So thanks. Thank you, Adam. Thank You're you. a good inquisitor. Thanks. Thanks for supporting my podcast dreams. I don't know if I like that reference with your your past story, but yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You can visit architecting.com. That's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Eli, this show is made by my mom and dad and these people. Heidi Mendoza, Emily Child, Fernando Queiroz, Zach Huff, Trevor Notzko, Aaron Best, Kyle Brunner, Rob Cleary. All right, let's get a coffee. See ya. Now we can hang out for a second if you have time, but before my kids like come banging down the door. Barreling through. Yeah. Our oldest just finished kindergarten so this is the first like summer that we've had to deal with you know with all that yeah. camps and things and so that's a big deal we ha- had a one week gap so i've been taking care of him and working this whole week and it's been a long week and you work out of the house yeah 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 so it's been fun i feel like i've like gotten to know him better than i have for a while you know um but that's good yeah what kind of stuff do you work on single family yeah uh, um, yeah, mostly single family. We have a few kind of smaller TI, like commercial office and uh, retail uh, stuff. Because we're kind of both coasts, we have two house renovations going on outside of 
Philadelphia and wow. one in Connecticut and we had two projects in Kansas and then two or three in Colorado. I'm doing my first Boulder project right now. It, it's a, a single family out kind of a little bit west of town. Um, so I'm learning the slowly count, learning the Boulder process, but what? County. 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 Yep. County. Yeah. Do we miss anything? Any of those questions jump out to you? Uh, How did you feel about it? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Uh, How much editing do you do by chance? Um, Not too much. <laughs> How much do you want editing? Out of that well, I was just, I was just kind of noting the Ryan Gold reference, Gold reference and Adrian's response to it. Oh, oh. Which we like, we love Ryan. He's yeah. one of our like best people. And Adrian and I are both really close with him and work all, we work with him on everything. But Adrian's response is a very Adrian response. He was like, oh yeah, Ryan. And so I just don't want that to. Oh, Ryan would know it. what that means. Should, don't should, worry. should we, should we like record something right now that we can splice in and be like, oh, that guy, he'll be lucky if he makes it a year, he, you know, <laughs> another year. He, yeah. You can play it for him and see what he thinks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that Ryan wouldn't care one bit, but I mean, what if somebody else in the audience thinks that poorly? Oh gosh, my goodness. What are we going to do? <laughs> you know, if, if all three of our moms get upset about it, you know, that's uh, who listens. So, uh, uh, Make yeah. a big one day. Yeah. You know, let's it, not worry about it. I was yeah. just curious. If you, think if you want to listen to it before, but uh, no, yeah, I think you'll get it. I can tell this story in the introduction of the podcast. I can say, oof, it sounded like we were really giving Ryan a hard time, but in the end, they said they're they're coming around to him. So, well, I don't, Adrian. You had some other notes too, so I don't know if his answer, his question of did we miss anything? No, I mean, I I just looked at uh, the questions you had and wrote a few things down. It's no big deal. Some of them we covered. Some of them were incorporated broadly, and uh, I'm not worried about anything. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the problem. It's like I could I could sit here and do this for three hours and hear all the stories. I'm sure you have, Adrian, and but it's, yeah, it's hard to kind of channel it into a certain amount of time, but. No, I, I, I'm good. I'll buy you a beer sometime and I, I'd, I'd love to hear more of those. So. But I look forward to it. I went to a little party at, at your Denver office one time. Oh, nice. I forgot what those. Oh, I think it was Denver Design Week, but yeah. Mm-hmm. just had an open house there last week. Last Did you go, EB? Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, I was out of town. Nice. It's a nice, actually. So you're you might have gone to the older office. We did move within the dry ice factory. We moved mm. to the street face on Walnut. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a standalone. It's not accessed by the hall. Okay. Anymore. And it's bigger than the kind of like thirty by fifteen. Yeah, it's bigger. It's yeah. probably maybe three times that size. So. Oh, cool. It's nice. We have about five people in there now. How many people do you have total? 19 right now. 19. I think. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Denver office is, is useful. As you know, it's not a lot of people live in Boulder. It's small and harder and harder. Unaffordable. Yeah. Most of us. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't lived here for a long time. That question of just 
how to grow and when you hire your first person, Adrian, I mean, especially Adrian, like it, that's kind of where we're at right now where it's like, well, we don't really have the work to have three, but like, oh, that'd be kind of nice some days, you know? And it's like, did that feel like a real kind of gulp moment of the first employee or you had so much that you kind of put yeah, it off? And It is a, a real question and um, it had fits and starts. Hmm. We actually had uh, another partner, which was really two partners at one point because they were married. Hmm. I don't remember that story. That was before your time, if you believe that exists. I mean, I said I don't remember the story even. Oh, well, it, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> didn't know that. I understand. Yeah. And there's stories there that I'm not sure I want to get into on a family this is the bonus part. You know, this is where we can really let it out. Uh, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is where I learned that um, you are joined to your partners in a way that you better be ready for. Mm. It wasn't the first time that I learned that, but I learned it somewhat viscerally. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing of, you know, you, you did 16 years with somebody and then and then breaking it off, you know, like my, my partner and I yet yeah, spend the marriage, right. It's been a rocky yeah. year and a half. And so we're talking constantly talking like, Oh, you know, could we just break off or no, I think things are good or whatever, you know, but like, mm -hmm. it's interesting to see like, yeah, you can go 16 years and then say, Hey, we're diverging. And you know, it's, it's hard. It's also hard to break up sometimes. Right. It's hard it's to break up. Others. and it's, it's hard to know, like, is this, is this the right person? Right. In the very beginning. And, but, Life goes well, on. One thing about that is that, um, and this is something that I think people these days don't know, is that the economy has a lot to do with this. Mm. And I can't remember if I've seen five or six recessions. Mm. And I think that the one that I'm counting as the sixth is not necessarily counted as a recession. And that's during COVID. Mm. We were actually busy and the PPP helped too, but I mean, it was a crazy time. So that, that sixth one is maybe about to hit, but young people don't have a clue of what that's like. Right. And think that we're all going to be begging people to just work wherever they want to work, because that's what they think that the, the world will allow. Mm -hmm. But um, a recession is a big deal in our profession. Yeah. And that has a big impact on partnerships too, particularly if they're challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is just me talking casually. With yeah, yeah, we were we were we've had this conversation recently, which is why it's so fresh for Adrian. And the I've been through two recessions. If COVID is the third, we don't know, but I've definitely never seen the job market like it is right now. And being on the employer side of things, we we constantly have to offer more to get employees. And, you know, I think it's at the, I assume it's at the most extreme it's ever been coming out of COVID in terms of flexibility and benefits and pay. And, yeah. pay. But as Adrian noted, they, when a recession hits, that kind of, that'll rebalance, one can imagine. And then all of these, we'll see how long all these flexible work days and COVID after effects last. Yeah. 
in the end. I mean, I'm of the opinion that you learn a lot from other people in your work. Yeah. And if you aren't in that environment, that has an impact. Mm-hmm. And as, as architects, we, as we have said, don't know a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're constantly learning. And when you're first out of school, you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And so you can learn something from the team's call from your project manager calling you and talking to you individually, but it's it's not the like spatial knowledge of of overhearing or hearing somebody on the phone or, or seeing what somebody else is doing. Right. Yeah. yeah. I learned so much from guys in the office that you would never think that you would even talk to working in the firms that I did about how to do things that, oh, you're doing that. Okay. I've never seen that, you know? Right. Yeah. How did that affect you going to starting your own firm? Barely, like how, how many years of experience working did you have before you started? It was pretty fast, right? I mean, yeah. Adrian, no? <laughs> uh, 23. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Sorry. Your LinkedIn, no. it looked like your LinkedIn said something else, but, but it, before you started Architecture Incorporated? No. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Architecture Incorporated. I, I 94. And I got out of, well, maybe it was not 23. It was, it was 20. Just okay. under 20. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. That's a long time. Yeah. I mean, I realized that if I was going to ever do it, I'm just going to have to do it. You knew something. And then probably a lot of the, what you had to learn was the business part of it. I had to learn the business part of it. I also knew I didn't have relationships to it um, to to build on in terms of a clientele. I didn't really know so many things that I didn't know. And on the other hand, I also felt like I can learn what I need to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just jumping in and see where it takes you. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't have any money. You know, yeah. Money. Right. Yeah. I, I, I graduated in 09 from undergrad and, uh, and my wife and I got a, a project and we started a firm at 23. And, and so I have this weird backwards career where I've, I've started three firms. I've like, just, oh, wow. I've worked for like eight, nine firms, but only for two years at a time and just kind of bouncing around however I feel like it. And so I'm like, a, I have like a Swiss cheese experience of, mm-hmm. of a bunch of gaps, but, um, and so there's a lot of jumping, but I'm always just curious of, of those, you know, there's different approaches you can take within the profession and mm-hmm. where, it, where it ends us. But um, do you still work with your wife? No, uh, she's at Gensler. Um, oh, got it. So she she gets me my health insurance and security and uh, right her paycheck and I give her angst and uh, my frustrations and <laughs> and foul care in job care yeah job care right <laughs> exactly uh, no but oh yeah thanks guys this is this has been fun so um, yes, yes thank you yeah, Rob. yeah. Thank you for inviting us.
This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.